Latter-day Saint historians in this area like to say New York City has a longer continuous connection with the church than with any other city in the United States. That claim rests on the visit of Martin Harris to the city in 1828, followed by Joseph Smith in 1832. Martin Harris came to see Professor Charles Anthon at Columbia College, which was then located near present-day Church and Murray. Columbia moved to a site near Rockefeller Center in 1849, and then to its present location at 116th and Broadway after 1896. When the college building was first built after the Revolution, Columbia stood at the northernmost outskirts of the city, with only open fields beyond it. Gradually, the city crept up and surrounded it. To imagine the site when Martin Harris visited, in your imagination you must remove the tall business buildings you see now and think of a large open college yard with the college hall in the center and a few shops and houses at its edges. College Hall was a multi-purpose building combining classrooms, dormitories, and offices. In 1828, the 36-year-old Anthon was a professor of Greek and Latin at Columbia and the most notable linguist in the country. He was a bachelor who lived in College Hall and devoted his entire life to teaching and scholarship. Martin Harris may have learned of Anthon through Samuel Mitchell, another notable scholar of the time, whom Martin consulted about the characters copied from the plates. Harris had helped Joseph Smith financially as he started to translate. He was the first person outside of the Smith family to believe Joseph's story, but was occasionally beset by doubts. He probably came to New York hoping to corroborate Joseph Smith's claim to have an ancient text which he was able to translate. It was the natural city for him to visit because Palmyra was situated squarely on the Erie Canal. Like tons of merchandise and produce each year, a person could make the journey via the canal and the Hudson River entirely by water. Joseph copied a number of characters from the plates and prepared a translation. This little piece of paper, eight by three and a quarter inches, had seven lines of writing containing about 225 characters. We don't know exactly what happened when Anthon and Harris met. Anthon told one story and Harris another. Anthon claims he recognized the hoax immediately and advised Harris to extricate himself. The characters were a motley collection of various scrawls faintly resembling Greek and Hebrew with signs from the Mexican zodiac. Harris, by contrast, said Anthon confirmed the accuracy of the translation and wrote out a certificate to that effect. When Anthon learned, however, that the characters came from partly sealed gold plates revealed by an angel, he tore up the certificate and said something like, I cannot read a sealed book. When Martin told this to Joseph, the two of them recognized a resemblance to a passage in Isaiah 29, which both believed had been fulfilled. There, Isaiah had written that the words of a vision written in a sealed book would be delivered to a learned man who, when asked to read it, would protest I cannot, for it is sealed. The same words delivered to an unlearned man would evoke the reply, I am not learned. Joseph saw himself in that prophecy. All this appears in Joseph Smith's history in The Pearl of Great Price. We probably will never know exactly what transpired in Columbia's College Hall in 1828. 
But we do know that Martin Harris went on to help Joseph translate, signed a statement testifying to the inspiration of the Book of Mormon, and financed its publication. A copy of the characters was later published in Nauvoo. Whether it was the original transcription or something else, we do not know for sure. But in 1965, I took the existing array of characters to an Egyptologist at Brown University, Richard Parker, and asked for his opinion. He said the individual characters on the transcript were authentic Egyptian, but the passage as a whole was not Egyptian. The characters looked to him like another language written in Egyptian as we write English in shorthand. To my mind, his opinion confirmed the Book of Mormon statement that the language of the plates was Hebrew, but written using Egyptian characters. If you look down Murray Street to the east, you will see a park. To get to the next site, you will walk through or around this park and across a large street on the other side. The street you are going to cross to get to the park is Broadway the oldest and most famous street in Manhattan, it goes the entire length of Manhattan Island and is in fact part of a federal highway that goes all the way to Canada. When you get to the corner of Murray Street and Broadway, take a look to your right. Down Broadway you will see the towers of the Financial District. This is where New York's famous ticker tape parades take place. Farther down Broadway along the sidewalk you can see embedded little plaques indicating everyone who has been so honored. After you cross Broadway, but before entering the park, you may want to note two important buildings just down Broadway. One block down at the corner of Park Place and Broadway, you will see the Woolworth Building. Called the Cathedral of Commerce due to its neo-Gothic decor, it was built in 1911 and was the tallest building in the world from then until the completion of the Chrysler Building in 1930. A few blocks farther down Broadway, you will notice an old Georgian-style church. This is St. Paul's Church. It is the oldest continuously used public building in Manhattan. Traditionally, its primary claim to fame was that George Washington worshipped there during his residence in New York City. However, St. Paul's acquired a more recent historic status when it served to shelter hundreds of firefighters and other rescue workers during the aftermath of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center, which the old church miraculously escaped without damage. Looking up Broadway in the other direction, the Avenue of Dreams is equally famous. About three miles north is Times Square in the theater district and even more significant for Latter-day Saints, a mile beyond that lies the Manhattan New York Temple, which is located at the corner of Broadway and 65th Street. As you cross City Hall Park, you will note on your left New York's City Hall. Built in 1803, it is the oldest city hall in the United States and still functions as the site of the mayor's office and city council chambers. You may also note the blue, white, and orange flag of New York City. The orange commemorates the city's origins as the Dutch colony of New Amsterdam. Although the name was changed in 1664 when the English took the colony from the Dutch, New York's Dutch heritage continued. It has provided us with such cultural icons as the Knickerbocker stories of Washington Irving, such as the Headless Horseman, Rip Van Winkle, and, of course, Santa Claus. Prominent in this heritage is the service of an old New York Dutch-American family 
with a very fine Dutch name meaning Field of Roses. Of course, in Dutch, that name is Roosevelt. As you leave City Hall Park and cross the street called Park Row, note the large old buildings to your right. These will be the topic of our next site. To reach this site, cross Park Row and then go to your left up Park Row and around the corner and then walk just a few feet to the corner of Nassau Street and Spruce Street.